it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight, we have a special guest with us tonight. We have Eric Schlein, from, who is the CEO and founder of Granite State Capital Management. He also has a great podcast called the Intelligent Investor Podcast, and he has agreed to join us today and talk about some really interesting, cool stuff So, and some things we haven't discussed before. So, Eric, uh, why don't you say hi and tell us a little bit about yourself, if you wouldn't mind. Well, thank you uh, for having me on. Yeah, so my name is Eric Schlein, and uh, I do run Granite State Capital Management, uh, hardcore uh, value investing junkie uh, since I'm uh, 14 years old is when I uh, started reading about Buffett. And, uh, you know, my interest in investing came, uh, so big props to uh, The Motley Fool. They had written a book years, years ago, called it was something like an investment guide for teens how to make more money than your parents or something like that and i thought it was fascinating to 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 see that book in the bookstore and uh you know i started reading it and and you know talked about you know very basic concepts right like the the dangers of being in a lot of debt you know don't spend more than you earn and they started talking about different investors in the book so i i started taking books out of the library of those different investors and when I got to reading a book about Warren Buffett, uh, the first book I read uh, about him was Warren Buffett Wealth uh, by Robert Miles. Um, and that was the initial book that sort of sparked my interest in Buffett. And, and, I, and I went down the rabbit hole uh, from there. So on, on the investment side of my life, that's, you know, that's a bit about me. I have plenty of other interests and in other things in my life. But for, for the investment stuff, that's, that's how I got into the, all, all of this. Let's start with the Buffett thing because I think it's really fascinating how um, you said that you wrote a letter to Buffett and he actually replied to you. So what happened there? I did. Um, the idea of me writing a Buffett is probably cooler than the letter back to me. Um, so it started where I was at a party at my neighbor's house and he had known someone who had played a poker game with Buffett. and. You know, the only kind of game people tend to associate Buffett with is with bridge. So I wrote him a letter and said I was thinking about coming to the annual meeting 
and I also shared with him about my neighbor's party and wanted to know how good of a poker player he was. So he responded back to me that um, that I should you know come to the meeting and that he would guarantee me a good time, and uh, that he's not a very good poker player. So that that was that was his response to me, and 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 he did he did fulfill on his promise. I had an absolutely amazing time at my first Berkshire Hathaway meeting, and I and I went to fifteen more, you know, fourteen more since. So I've been I think I've been to like fifteen now. That's awesome. Maybe break it down for the audience. Uh, what? Try to encapsulate what a Berkshire meeting's like. I went to one in 2018, and I absolutely loved it. So maybe you can kind of break that down for people uh, who aren't aware of his meetings. Yeah, sure. So when you say come all the way to the middle of Omaha, Nebraska to watch two old guys answer questions for six hours, it doesn't inherently sound so appealing, um, <laughs> especially now that you can watch it online. But I would imagine you could attest to this that Watching the Q and A online doesn't really encapsulate the that magic of the environment and that experience. So yeah. the first thing is it's very experiential. So I'm now going to have the challenge of trying to talk about an experience. Right, it's like talking about the Grand Canyon. You look at a photo; it doesn't really uh, do it justice to actually being there and being in the presence of the Grand Canyon. Um, so I'm limited to to that. But that being said, the the the, the the environment is very, very high quality people. You end up having extremely high quality, intelligent, amazing conversations. It's not like one of these typical, you know, sort of networking kind of events where everyone has this agenda and they just want to throw their business cards at you. I'm not going to say there's none of that. There's always people that are going to be like that. But I have met so many friends over the years and so many just great quality relationships and, you know, I still talk to a lot of my, you know, a lot of those relationships uh, on a uh, weekly, monthly basis. I'm actually staying with someone right now who I met at my first pressure Hathaway meeting when I was 18. So, I mean, like, that's literally how awesome it is. And you're around so many amazing people who are all there, you know, for the same thing, you know, Berkshire Hathaway. But what's cool about it is that it's like, what, what does Berkshire Hathaway represent? Right? What does Buffett represent? And it represents certain values, right? So there's things like, you know, integrity and, and business ethics. And there's just that, that whole world that Buffett encapsulates. And while not everyone is going to be there and be folksy like Buffett, there's something that draws you, you know, there's something that resonates at your core with the Berkshire Hathaway meeting. So people there, they already sort of have this character based foundation to begin with it ends up being like a very high quality fraternity in a, in a lot of senses so that's that would be the gist of it if, if i could if, if that speaks to it yeah and if, if i can paint a picture just i remember Please. the first the very first time i went i was super blown away because i i had done a meetup with actually preston and stig from the investors podcast they i guess they used to host uh, a meetup every year so there is a group of maybe like a hundred of us and so I didn't really know what to expect, but basically we stood in line at like five or six AM and this line wrapped around the stadium. And then once they opened the doors, it was like a mad rush. Like imagine Black Friday at Walmart where they're giving away like big screen TVs or something. It was like that. And people rush to claim a seat and you're in this huge stadium, um, this huge indoor stadium. And then. I would be tired just sitting there answering all these questions just like back to back to back. But here you have Buffett and Munger who are quite 
quite up there in age and they're just, you know, Buff is just snapping off answers like as if he's talking about n- not super complex investing topics. It was just, it was fascinating. I was completely blown away and I agree. It's, it's a great experience and uh, you just really have to be a shareholder in Berkshire to, to be able to attend. Yeah. And now, you know, you know, when I was first going to it, you know, the, the, um, the B shares were like in the thousands. And then when the B shares split, it was very easy to get a share. Um, but what not a lot of people don't, what a lot of people don't know is that if you don't have any B shares and don't feel like buying one or, you know, let's say you don't even have a brokerage account, right? Like say maybe you're just starting to invest, uh, you can go on eBay and Buffett, they, Berkshire will actually sell credentials to the meeting for $5 and they sell unlimited credentials and flood the market so that no one can scalp tickets because people were doing that years ago and, and it, it really annoyed Buffett. So he, he, you know, got the price to, to be $5 by flooding it with infinite credentials. <laughs> he really does think about everything. It's, it's funny. Okay. Yeah. So moving past the cult of Buffett. Um, yes. What about, uh, maybe not completely past it. What about Buffett and his ideas most influence you and has led to your kind of philosophy and how you invest today? Well, I think to put simply the idea that buying a security is, is, you know, the, the intrinsic value of a security is, is all the cash flows it'll produce discounted back to the present. You know, it's not, not a very radical thing to say, but it's a little mind blowing how many, you know, even quote unquote professional investors have, have moved away from that, a uh, very simple idea. So I think it's even though a lot of Buffett's career, when if you analyze it, I mean he's he's done some complex stuff, but the principles are very eloquent and very simple. So easy to understand, difficult to master, and I, so it just made sense to me. And I and and I see investing as a long term game. You know, you're playing for thirty, forty, fifty years, maybe more, and. I just didn't, you know, I'm looking at Buffett, you know, I'm looking at myself when I was a teenager and reading some of these other books on day trading and technical analysis or more speculative growth stuff and thinking there's no way I could do this for decades and be successful. You know, maybe you could do it once or twice and get lucky, but it just, it just made sense that if I wanted a long-term investment career and have a, even a decent track record long-term that these principles were, were probably smart to, to start studying and following. So I there's different levels of kind of investing in, with the discount, you know, with the margin of safety. Mm-hmm. So would you say you're more on the the deep value side or more on the kind of more closer to the value side or do you move between that? How would you describe uh the way you look at stocks like that? Well, as what Munger would say is that all investing is value investing. So you know, whether it's some deep value stock that's trading below net cash or, you know, trading at some, you know, steep discount to liquidation value, um, or it's a company that maybe is just trading at like, you know, seven, eight times earnings with moderate growth, or maybe it's something trading at 25, 30 times earnings where growth is growing at 100% a year, right? So, I mean, I love businesses that are, hyped up growth for years and years to come that you're getting at a pretty cheap multiple. Uh, you don't see that too often, but you know, I, I'll, I'll look to wherever I can get a, you know, good, good rate of return where I'm not taking a lot of risk. So I, I don't, I don't think I have, um, 
you know, proclivity in one, one way or the other. I, I think it's easier. I would say it's easier for me to look at a high growth business at a very, very good price, I, you know, because it's, you know, I can tell you when something is a good product. I can, I can kind of see when something has a competitive moat. The, can the, you give the us trick, an though, example? Sure. Oh, man. So, you know, when uh, last year when Facebook, you know, was like at 160, 170 and it was trading in a market multiple, when he stripped out the cash, it was trading in a, I think it was trading in a multiple that was even lower than the market or right around the market. Like, you didn't have to be that smart to figure out that Facebook is a better business on average and has higher growth ahead of it than the average business in the S&P 500. I mean, I thought that was a pretty simple idea. Um, and really the question you had to ask, which I guess you could still ask is, you know, is Facebook going to be around in 10 years and, and will Facebook still keep growing and uh, will Mark Zuckerberg keep allocating capital at, at, at a good rate of return? I think the answer is yes. I think Facebook is a fantastic business. And I think the the negativity in the, in the news uh, has only keep kept the those multiples uh, lower than they should be. Um, but that would be one example. Um, another example, actually, this was a really really easy. I could say this is actually pretty easy to figure this one out. There's a company called uh, Game Account Network, uh, also known as GAN, is that actually what they're called now? And I found them when they were trading um, on the alternative investment market in London, which is kind of like the the pink sheet equivalent or the over-the-counter equivalent of the United States, but it's even more obscure. So they have like an auction system where you can only buy the stock like a few times a day. It's a really weird arcane system. And um, a lot of brokers won't even let you buy a stock on the AIM exchange. And here was a business. They do the um, the back end for a lot of uh, these online casinos. So, you know, they had uh, they had some pretty big clients. And what I liked about them is that they had a very, very good technology. So a lot of uh, online cas- you know, casinos trust, trust them to do all their backend, you know, their, their backend work and, 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 you know, customer, I don't know what the term is, but bas- basically to track all the customers, to do all the real money, uh, internet gaming, um, you need, you know, you, it's a whole platform, it's a whole technology. And a lot of companies are just really bad at executing it, especially when you're dealing with larger casino businesses. So here was a company that, uh, had pivoted to the United States really before anyone else did, taking advantage of the legalization of online gambling in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and now Michigan and looks like New York uh, is 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 going to be coming up soon. But that's you know there's there's tons of growth and 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 tons of you know future uh, clients to get from that right. The the TAM is 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 insanely huge, and GAN is the market leader in that. So you could have bought GAN at one point. Uh, early in 2020 at like one to two times revenue for a company that was projected to have 30 to 40 percent uh, normal normalized margins uh, at scale and they're growing revenue at 100 percent a year so i don't know you know like where can you find a business in the united states growing revenue at 100 percent a year will be very profitable and have extremely high margins at scale and you're getting it at one to two times revenue. Like that, that, that to me was just a no brainer. You know, and I, I put 10% of my assets into that at the time. So those are the kinds of things I love. You know, I just don't get to do them too often. Yeah. You bring up a good point about that being hard to find now. So how does the approach change, if at all, in today's market with it seeming like a lot of people seem to agree there's quite a bit of froth in certain places? So how do you approach a market like that? Well, I think in certain places, uh, you know, like WD40 is trading at like 60 times 
earnings or I mean, there's a lot of businesses that are that uh, I don't even think have that much high growth ahead of them that are trading at ridiculously high valuations. And then a lot of the, you know, SaaS businesses, tech businesses, not all of them, but, but a lot of them are trading at, you know, like a hundred times sales, 80 times sales, 300 times sales. Right. So it can be very difficult to, to make money long term where you need really, really, really high growth rates to even, um, be able to make an average, you know, like a 10% rate of return for some of these businesses. I'm not going to say it, it's not going to happen with any of them, but, um, it might be hard. And I think a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money uh, speculating on some of those names, but there's other businesses, you know, for instance, um, say a company, you know, say a company like Brookfield asset management, which is something that I own for myself and my clients. Um, and, you know, Bruce flat is the guy that runs that business, but quite frankly, you know, any of the uh, sub- subsidiary CEOs could probably run the business just fine. You know, if he got hit by a bus tomorrow and, uh, you know, they're a asset management business. Um, they have a bunch of private funds and they invest in, you know, infrastructure and, and renewable energy and, and, and all, and all in, in different real estate projects. Uh, they invest in real assets. And then they also have some, uh, limited partnerships that they own stakes in that they have spun out over the years that are now publicly traded. And then they own stakes in those limited partnerships. So, you could add up the value of their LPs and then, you know, put a, you know, conservative to somewhat average multiple on the asset management business. That's been incredibly well managed over the last 20 years. I mean, they've compounded capital 20% a year um, for the last 20 years. And, um, you know, you'd, you'd get a stock price, you know, I, I'd say on the low end in the, the, the mid forties to low fifties and, and then on the high end in the, in the, in the 60s, low 70s, and the stock trades at 40 today. So there, there's a growth company um, with you know years years of growth ahead of it, trading at a pretty pretty low uh, valuation. So there's certainly opportunity. You just have to spend extra time looking. So where, where I tend to look is you know companies that are not traded um, in a lot of index funds, right? So if you're not in the S and P 500 or in one of the major indexes, that's often a place to look because you don't have the index fund just sort of indiscriminately buying and, and bidding the stock up. Um, another place to look would be, say, places where there's not a lot of analysts following them or um, the liquidity is low. So a lot of these over-the-counter stocks, um, you know, most of them are garbage, but there's certainly opportunity on the OTC markets. Um, you can also look internationally so right so just because the united states is expensive there, there's other parts of the world uh where you can find businesses where maybe they don't have english financials or they there's there's something weird about them and then they're in a different country so people sell off the stock um, and then there's other businesses where maybe the the business doesn't fit perfectly neatly into some category so people just kind of ignore it so there's there's places to look you just have to be creative and then and the game is harder today than it was, say, 30, 40 years ago, where you could just do a, you know, look look through a Moody's manual and find every stock trading at, you know, below net current asset value, buy a basket of that, and you do okay. Or, or even, say, buy the lowest, uh, you know, lowest 10% of price-to-book companies and, and, and beat the market. You know, that that strategy has, you, you, would, have, you would underperform buying low P, uh, price-to-book companies the last 20 years. And, and there's reasons for that, too, which, you know, we can get into. But, yeah, you have to be more creative. But there's there's value if you look. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. 
Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Let's say that somebody is brand new to investing. Let's say they started in January and it was their New Year's resolution to yeah. to try to find some stocks that are good value and um, they're not paying too high of a price for it. How would you suggest somebody start on the path towards looking in a place where it doesn't seem like things are cheap at all? So I would, you may not like this answer. I want to say you listeners who are beginning to invest may not like this answer, but like with a lot of things in life, there's, there's often not a shortcut, right? So it's like the, the life hack, the shortcut is actually doing the work. So I would say, and this is what I did and it worked, worked well for me, but you have to see if this is kind of your style. I made a list of every company that I wanted to study. You know, because if if I wasn't going to have fun doing this, I would burn out. And and if you're doing this for years and years and you're not enjoying the process, no, you're not going to last. So I made a list of like, you know, I don't know how many companies it was. It might have been 50, 75, something like that. Of just companies that I wanted to study that I thought were interesting. And then one by one, I, I read their annual reports. Sometimes I would call the management teams. You know, you'd be amazed how many CFOs will actually talk to you if you, you give them a call. And I learned and I learned about different businesses and different companies. 
and then I said, okay, well, what, what, um, what do I think the the stock could could be worth? You know, what multiple am I willing to to buy this? Where do I? How do I feel uh, the growth rates are going to be? So, you know, for a stable business that's growing at you know three to four percent a year, if I could buy it at ten times earnings, you know, with no growth, that's a ten percent. You know, that's a ten percent rate of return, and then I can get it juiced up a little bit. That's a great return. So yeah, I would love to own, um, say, Colgate or or Nestle or Hershey at ten times earnings. That sounds fantastic, but most of those businesses don't trade at ten times earnings. So it might be that you know I remember for me that that first year or two of me learning, I only bought like one. Actually, I only bought two stocks. I bought uh, this little supermarket business uh, called Village Supermarket, uh, and they were just trading at a you know, right around book value and, and a low multiple to earnings. And, and then I bought stock in Apple computer. And, and, you know, when you stripped out the cash, it was also trading in a very low multiple and um, you had Steve Jobs running it, you know, but it, but it was only two stocks that I bought and, and everything else I didn't really know how to figure out. So as I started learning and um, learning about different businesses, learning about their competitors that, that, you know, expanded my, uh, as Buffett would call it, your circle of competence, my circle of competence. And that's what allowed me to start getting creative. Um, I would also recommend for a new investor is take a look at what some of the, you know, the rock star investors are doing. You know, take a look at the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio. Take a look at the Daily Journal portfolio. Take a look at, you know, when Bill Ackman's doing a filing or, or any of these other, you know, uh, sort of famous investors, see what they're doing and start studying those businesses. Um, you know, you can also pay for research too. So um, there's a guy uh, who I've had on my show quite a few times, uh, Jeremy Raper at Raper Capital. He writes a, you know, a wonderful, great newsletter and he gives a lot of stuff away for free on his Twitter. Um, so he gives out some great ideas and, and he, tends to, you know, I, I think me and him are very similar in a lot of ways where he looks at a lot of these under the radar kinds of securities in different countries, but also easy to understand. Um, there's a, you know, a bunch of blogs that I think are great, like uh, yet another value blog, you know, they have a subscription service, but they also give away a lot of free content. Um, read annual letters of different uh, investors, you know, and you can find those online often and they'll talk about the things that they hold. So I think as you start to find what you enjoy and what you enjoy reading, what you enjoy learning about. Um, there is no shame in, in taking an idea from someone else. Um, as long as you understand the idea and you're not just blindly taking it from someone else. So I would say to start, that's how I would start it. And you kind of figure out your own path along the way. Those are fantastic ideas. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Oh, and let me also add two other resources that I think would be great. Um, there's a message board that I'm very active on called the Corner of Berkshire and Fairfax. And, you know, people share about all different ideas all the time on there. But it's also a really great community if you're new and, and people will uh, be very welcoming to you if you're new. And then there's also Value Investors Club, a little bit more advanced in the write-ups. Um, but anyone can register for a, uh, a delayed, you know, 90-day delayed account. And some of the best investors in the world um, have write-ups on there. And um, you can read old investment ideas that are 90 days old. And, and quite frankly, an idea that's 90 days old, a lot of those are still going to be applicable. So you, get, you can get a lot of free uh, investment ideas from there as well. 
What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. That's awesome. The, those are all great resources. And I was actually making notes on some of those because some of those I was not familiar with. So thank you for sharing those with me. That's awesome. Yeah, happily. Uh, uh, I guess uh, a, a question I have. So w- some of the things that we've been talking about are, are super interesting. So I, I guess tell me a little bit more about this under the radar securities idea. So we, you know, I spend a lot of time looking at stuff here in the United States and I haven't been, uh, to be honest, I haven't been as comfortable going outside of the United States and I guess some of the things that you talked about early on were outside the United States. So tell me a little bit about like how you get past that, that, you know, I guess bias of the accounting standards and any of those kinds of things. And I know that that's probably a little bit more old school thought wise on my part, but you know, that's something that I struggle with. And I'm guessing other people might struggle with that as well. Sure. So, you know, when I was at my second annual meeting at the Berkshire Hathaway. We're going to go back to Buffett for a second. Um, I had asked him a question and I said, you know, if you were managing smaller sums of money again, you know, you know, doing the Buffett partnership essentially all over again, would you be buying more of the kinds of securities that you were, you know, back in the 1950s and 1960s? Or, or would you be, you know, buying more of the stuff that you are today? And he said, you know, flat out that he would, uh, both him and Charlie, you know, were, were very honest in that they would uh, be certainly looking at more of the obscure kinds of stuff that they were looking at, you know, decades ago when they were managing much smaller amounts of money. So, you know, that got me thinking that maybe I should be spending most of my time there. Um, you know, figuring out Facebook, I brought up Facebook earlier, like that, that really wasn't too difficult. You know, I can kind of get idea of the business. I, I don't need to understand all, every little nuts and bolt of, of the company. I can see it trades at a lower multiple. There's not many variables you have to figure out. Um, you know, I don't need, I don't need a 10 page analysis on Facebook. I could basically give you that analysis in a paragraph, quite frankly. Um, but a lot of these say, you know, international stocks or uh, over the counter securities. You have to do some more digging because most of these businesses I've never heard of. Um, some of them, you know, the, the, say in a, like a like maybe a Japanese company or a German firm, that the, the financials won't even be in English. Um, so you don't have to use Google Translate. Um, there are times, say, with the OTC securities where um, you might have to like go onto their website to get the financials, or you might have to like actually email the management to get their financials because they're not even going to be posted. Uh, you know, on the OTC markets and certainly not with the SEC. So I spend most of my time doing that. Um, how I get comfortable with it is really how I get comfortable with anything. So, um, you know, if a, say a business is in, I'm just making this up, but, you know, say a business is in Japan, right? And it looks very cheap. Um, but then I discovered they have this big subsidiary in China. Well, that's going to make me a little less comfortable because China, you know, has more fraud. Um, or let's say I'm looking at a undervalued company in Poland and uh, they're trading below liquidation value, but they're selling all this stock. Well, that's a red flag. Um, but maybe they're buying back stock. That's a pot. Yeah, that would be very interesting. So I'm taking all these, you know, this is where the, that the game's harder just not having a blind screen is, you know, I'll start digging in one by one to these businesses and 
I tried to get a sense of what's going on and, and why the stock is cheap. You know, is management doing anything to, to, to correct it? Are they taking advantage of anything? Are they, is, is something going on? So, you know, certainly that other countries are not going to have this, you know, same accounting standards as the United States. But like generally, if, say, if something's traded in England, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be ripe with it, like accounting fraud. Um, you know, I'd be certainly careful if you're looking in China. Um, I don't even really buy stuff in China or looking in Russia. Um, but for the most part, you know, my biggest concern isn't accounting fraud. My, my biggest concern is there's just something shady going on. Say like the management is like, you know, stealing from the company and they have egregious salaries or there's some weird, you know, inner family transactions going on or, and then sometimes it's just as simple as, you know, you take a company in China that's trading at, you know, 60 cents of the dollar of, of um, book value, but the returns on equity are a half a percent because, you know, they, they, they hold cash and they're a 400 year old business and they own like three golf courses and an insurance company yet. They like their main business is to like sell tuna or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, every, every business you, you got to look at individually, but like, I wasn't, you know, like looking at GAN, for instance, like I wasn't worried that they were committing accounting fraud. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So do you have a, uh, do you have a threshold as far as like a market cap or revenue that you try to stay above below? Is there any sort of, I guess, you know, not screening, that's not the right word for it, but is there, is there anything that kind of gives you pause? Like eh, maybe that's just a little bit too small or a little bit too, a little bit too risky on that end. Yes. and No. So like the small, I, the smallest security that I that I own, it's like a five hundred thousand dollar market cap, um, and I'm pretty sure that the CEO and CFO are stealing from the company. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into what the name is or anything like that. Um, Fair enough. But I, and and there might be some stuff going on with the business that could change. But I I I, I don't want to talk about that because that's so small. But generally, you know, if something's if something is like say under like one, say one to five million dollar market cap or even like say under 20 million dollar market cap my first question is like well why is this public right like you right. know like so you know i was even just on the phone with uh a ceo of a company the other day that's that's in the process of going dark and it's, they're gonna have a major cost savings you know their their market caps i mean it's silly low it's like it's under it's under i think it's like I don't remember, but it's, it's under $30 million and they're going to have a huge cost saving by uh, going dark and not having to file with the SEC anymore. But it's a really, it was a really interesting valuation and, and really enjoy talking to the CEO and thinks about capital allocation. So like, you know, in that case, I wanted to talk to the management to, to kind of see, you know, get a sense of what was going on. But yeah, generally, I mean, you'll see these businesses. Like I remember this one that I found in college. So I'm, we're talking like 2006 here and it was called Altex Industries and they own like, I don't remember. It was like, like one oil and gas pump or something like that. Or like they had almost no assets. It was just like a little oil and gas revenue every year. And the CEO, his salary is like half the market cap, right? So it was, one, <laughs> it was like a $1 million business. And the guy's making <laughs> half a million a year. It's like all the cash flows go to him. So like, and I tried calling him. There's no, like, it would just go to a voicemail. Like it would be like, no, it would never ring or anything. I could never get in touch with the guy. And, um, so, I mean, I don't even know why it's public. Um, I couldn't figure out the history of it. Um, but like, I kind of determined like this thing is around because it's the guy's piggy bank. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, long story short, you know, fast forward, you know, from 2006 to 2021, that's what sounds weird to say, to 2021. <laughs> and uh, the stock's the exact same price. So, it, like, you know, it's not cheap, even though it's trading in below book value, because it, it should trade below book value. Right. Um, so yeah, just like use your discretion. If something's a three million dollar business and the CEO is getting all the all the all the cash flow, it's like it's the family piggy bank, right? Uh, but there are exceptions to the rule. So yeah, like I have made investments. Yeah, so I, I own as uh, one stock North Northfield Precision, and um, we've I've actually had a uh, had a guy talk about it on a, on my podcast. A little while ago, it's, it's it's like nine. You know, the the market cap today is a little under ten million dollars. Wow. Um, but it's a real business. They have this tiny little niche, like they have like a little monopoly uh, making uh, what are called precision air chucks, and they have like you know they're like they're like one of the only companies that make this particular kind of little machine part for like very particular tasks that are way above my pay grade to understand exactly what it's for or how it's used. Um, but they have like really nice margins and there really has not been much growth up until potentially uh, this past year where they might have some growth opportunities. And I'm buying a basically this business at like, you know, sub 10 times earnings for some possible growth and, and very consistent uh, earnings that they just pay out um, in a dividend every year. And, 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 and now they're paying a little bit less than the dividend to, to, to try to grow the company. But it was one of these, you know, low risk. Uh, you know, I think it's very reasonable. I can make a ten percent, you know, return on it, but potentially much higher. Um, and you know, the management does send out reports, and they have annual meetings, and you know, the CEO will talk to you. So it it's a real business, and 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 it's you know, there the management owns most of the stock, so it doesn't trade a lot. Um, but that would be an example of a small company where I could see it, see see it. it, it they, they're, they're dark, so they don't have to file and they save costs on that, but it just kind of sticks around every year and, and, and pays a dividend to the shareholders. Yeah, that's cool. That's that's really interesting. All right, let's uh, let's pivot a little bit. So let's talk about uh, moats. Uh, this sure. is one of this is one of my favorite subjects. So uh, right. let's talk. A, let's talk a little bit about moats. What are your thoughts on moats? One of my thoughts on moats. That's a very broad question. Um, <laughs> yeah. It certainly increases the value of a business, right? So, you know, going right. back to that original principle that you know the value of a, the intrinsic value of, a, of any asset is all the cash flows it'll produce to infinity, discounted back to the present. Well, if you have a competitive moat, you have a higher probability. Or we don't have crystal balls, but most you have a higher probability that the cash flows that you're experiencing now are the growth that you're experiencing now is going to continue at least longer in the future. Um, where if you have no moat, the moment you have high margins, other people wake up to that in a capitalist system, or at least mostly free market system. And then those, then those uh, margins get uh, chiseled away to zero. You know, that's why most companies don't make their cost of capital. It's for that reason. Yeah, that's a good point. So we were talking about Facebook earlier. What are your thoughts on Facebook and that, that moat? Uh, that's one of the things I think the things that has given me pause about the company is mm-hmm. will will that growth continue? Is you know, is a twenty percent revenue growth, is that really sustainable for the next ten, twenty years? Uh twenty years, I don't think so. Um maybe, I don't know. But I think I think over the next ten years, I don't know about twenty percent growth, but I, I think you have pretty high growth over the next ten years. I I, mean, I would say double digits for the next five years if I if I wanted to guess. Right. 
Yeah. Okay. But you know, in terms of moats, I, I mean, I think Facebook is one of the greatest businesses to ever exist in the, in, in the history of the world. Well, that's, that's quite a statement. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's true. I would, I would, I would say Facebook, um, Amazon, Google, maybe, to, you know, in the top 10 business businesses ever to exist in mm-hmm. humanity. What do you about think? What do you think about Microsoft in that, in that category? Maybe there's other there's other moving parts to Microsoft which I don't I don't fully just get as much so I, I don't know I mean it's a great it's obviously a great business I mean their their margins are insane and they've been around for a long time and they've grown to where they are and now they have their cloud business too which has taken off it's a great business I, I don't I don't I don't think it's as good as as, as Google or Facebook but it's a great right. business right so I guess talking about Amazon. You know the recent news with with Jeff Bezos stepping down. Do you think that's going to impact the company or how they operate going forward? So my, I mean, look, like like my guess is as good as yours, right? Like, I, <laughs> right. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. My, but if I had to just like put on my like sleuth like thinking lens for a second, I don't think Jeff Bezos is the kind of guy. Look. I, I, so one of the other things that I do in life is I do a lot of organizational consulting and cultural work. And, you know, one of the biggest problem sets, um, that founders experience is, um, how do I actually leave my legacy on the company? Right. Because we have seen times where a founder will leave and they will leave it to someone who's very smart, very good operationally, understands the business. But there's something missing, right? Like when Steve Jobs was running Apple, that was Steve's vision. You know, whether you like it or not, that was Steve's vision. How do you give how do you give your own self-expression to somebody else? It's very, very it's it's actually a certain skill set. They don't teach you in business school and they don't really teach you in most places. I don't wanna I don't we don't have time to like get into that those that whole body of distinctions, but it's a it's a completely different skill set. Um, and you could be really smart in business and really dumb in turning a business over to someone else. But I would imagine Jeff Bezos is smart enough. And when I say smart, both intellectually and street smart, I, I think you have to be street smart to build Amazon as well, that he's thought about this and has probably worked with people that have this skill set. So I don't think he's handing it off to someone who he just thinks is like, oh, well, He's, he understands the business, so he'll be fine. Like I, I'm sure Jeff Bezos has done a ton of work for years on literally ensuring to the best he can that whoever took it over um, would be able to carry out the the vision for Amazon. You know, it's one thing to write in your annual report uh, to say, you know, every day is day one, or you know, that's what they that's what they say at Amazon. Yep. But the, the the one of the competitive moats in Amazon is their culture. You know, saying saying every you know, it's always day one. It's not just giving lip service to that saying; it's actually embedded in the ethos in the environment. Um, so the 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 big test is: Will the new CEO? I'm sure he'll say that, and he'll write that in the annual report. Will it still be in the culture? I would bet yes, and I, I bet Jeff Bezos has done a lot of thinking about that. So I, I trust Jeff Bezos to to do that job. I guess to bring it full circle, we started on Buffett, maybe we end on Buffett too. As a Berkshire shareholder, are you? do you envision yourself holding on when Buffett finally passes the torch? 
So to me, that's a way easier question. Um, assuming the valuation isn't like four times book value for Berkshire or something like yes. But I think Buff, the, the transition of Buffett's actually a way easier um, question to ask than, than Bezos. Because a lot, a lot of Amazon is based off what uh, Bezos has created. With Buffett, Buffett died tomorrow. I mean, Berkshire is fine, right? I mean, they have very independent operating subsidiaries. They have great cultures within those those uh Berkshire subsidiaries already at least most of the companies not all the companies but most of the, a lot of the companies and there's so many guys there that like Buffett he, I mean, he's not doing the capital a lot of the capital allocation um he's still okay I want to take that back he, he's doing a capital allocation but there's other people there that can also do capital allocation there's so many great people at Berkshire that you know, if Buffett died tomorrow, that the the success of Berkshire hasn't been relying on Buffett for many years now. So, so he's been very good at structuring the company not to rely on him. So, I'm actually way less worried about that than I would be with Amazon. Yeah, it it, it does make a lot of sense, and um, I think it's it's something to consider. It's it's something I think a lot of investors don't consider until it happens. Like as was the case with Bezos. I mean, I always assumed he would kind of be there forever. Uh-huh. You just never know, and it's. I guess it's another part of fundamental analysis, really. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no sure things for this for the most part in investing. So part of the art, I mean, you know, investing is much more of an art than a science. I mean, if if it was just a science, every accountant and mathematician would be a billionaire, and that's not the case. So the art of investing is how do you underwrite that? Like, you know, how do you, how do you underwrite buying Amazon if it doesn't work out? Like, I would say if 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 uh, I don't even remember what the guy's name is, but uh, the the new uh, CEO of, of Amazon. I mean, if he is not aligned with the culture, I mean, Amazon is not going to be Amazon anymore. I'm just, just be straight up about that. But I, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. But like, maybe there's a ten to twenty percent chance that doesn't ha- that that doesn't happen. Like, I don't say I don't think it's zero. I'd say it's low probability, but I don't think it's zero. But I think if if it works out, Amazon's still cheap. I actually own a lot of Amazon as well as Facebook. Those are good businesses. Yeah, they are. I wish I did. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're they're public, so you can still own them. Yeah. <laughs> Not at those prices. <laughs> I hear you. You know, people have been saying that though for the last ten years that they don't want to own Facebook or Amazon at those prices. I'm not saying just right. buy something indiscriminately, but you know, one of the one of the things that Buffett has said. God, I'm, I hate doing this right now. I'm actually going to publicly criticize something with Buffett, which is making me cringe. But that I think that's like, you know, let's criticize on the cult leader here for a second. You know, Buffett, one of the things he shared that really stuck with me when I was a teenager is he said, you know, don't worry about where the price has been. Look to what the intrinsic value is now. And I remember that's actually what allowed me to own Amazon is you know, I just looked at the stock chart for Amazon. It's like, you know, I'm cringing because I'm like, I don't really feel like buying Amazon at the 52 week high or the, you know, the, the 30 year high or whatever it is. Right. Um, but when I was doing the analysis on Amazon, I was like, okay, I think this is actually a 50 cent dollar, even though the price has gone up a lot. So I, I just saw that I had that bias, saw that I had that emotional reaction and then bought it anyway. I had like, you know, Buffett talking in my ear. Well, don't worry about where the price has been. Look to it now. And then I remember a few months after I bought Amazon, I watched this interview of Buffett, and he was talking about like what a hard time he's like. He's like, "Oh, Amazon's a great business. Wish I bought it, but it's really, really hard for me to you know buy the stock after it's gone up so much." And I'm like, 
I thought that's that's what you told us not to do. So I, 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 I it, it occurred for me that Buffett was was actually being psychically psychologically anchored to the price of Amazon. I thought that was really interesting. So we're all infallible in our own ways. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. I love how we covered the scope between hundred thousand dollar market cap all the way up to trillion dollar. So <laughs> we made sure we got the whole range today. It was a fun conversation, Eric. Um, where can people go to find out more about you and what you're doing today? Sure. So I have a um, a few links depending on what you're interested in. Um, if you want to just check out my business, uh, it's gscm.co, and that's for the Grand State Capital Management Company. And I do have a few investment write-ups on there. Uh, if people want to get a deeper idea of my thinking, um, they can also go to um, my personal website, which is just ericschlein.com. Um, and if they click podcast, they can listen to all the episodes of the Intelligent Investing Podcast. And then they can also click to subscribe on you know Spotify, Stitcher, you know, whatever podcast uh, platform you like to use. Um, but I'm more than happy if people want to get in touch with me personally, if they have any questions about investing, value investing, how to get started, any, any, any questions about today's episode. Um, I'm very, very active on both Twitter and Instagram. And it's just Eric Schlein is my Twitter and Instagram handle. So if you're on Twitter, feel free to reach out to me. If you're on Instagram, as they would say in, in Clubhouse, slide into my DMs. But yeah, I'm very accessible. So I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to share information and ask, you know, answer any questions people would have for me if they want to get in touch. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for all that, Eric. Uh, I will make sure to put all those links in the show notes so everybody can access all that stuff. And there's a lot of great information there for sure. And Eric, thank you very much for coming and taking the time out of your day to come talk to us and share your knowledge with us. Uh, my, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank Eric again for taking the time out of his day to come talk to us and share his knowledge with us. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. and We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.